Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus chapter 12. If you'd like to place a marker there, we're going to be going back and forth. So we'll come back to chapter 12 here of Exodus throughout our study this morning. It's good to be here. It's good to be among you on this first day of the week. We appreciate everyone being here. Appreciate our visitors being with us this morning. Hope you are encouraged and edified by the things that we do here each and every first day of the week. One of our greatest blessings as Christians is to have access to God's Word. It tells us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We read that in 2 Peter 1, and verse 3. By studying it, we can become complete. Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy 3, and verse 17. Part of the blessing of God's Word is the preservation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament served as a tutor to lead the Jews to Christ. Paul states that in Galatians 3 and verse 24. Today, it helps us to understand God the Father and gives us a deeper appreciation of God the Son, and that is Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, this morning I'd like for us to consider the Passover. If you're here in Exodus chapter 12, let's read, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he, shall, he and his, his neighbor nearest to him, um, to his house, are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat it raw or boiled at, at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, with the sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against, uh, and against all gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. If you remember from history, Exodus records the exodus of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage under Pharaoh. And at this time in history, we come to the last plague that, is gonna, that God is going to bring upon Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, and that's going to be the plague of the firstborn. Every firstborn was to be struck dead. But he gives this... Passover as a way for the children of Israel to avoid 
this terrible fate. For they're firstborn not to be struck with this plague. They are just something, there are things that they have to do. Taking the Passover lamb, taking some of the blood, putting it on their doorposts and on their lintel. And when the angel of death was to come through, he would spare those. He would pass over those who had put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. So as we talk about the Passover, I mentioned in the opening remarks about the Old Testament and what it can teach us about God the Father and about God the Son. So let's begin our thinking about the Passover with this. The Passover, along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is the oldest observance in the Jewish faith. This was the first observance that God had given to them to observe the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll talk about that in just a moment. When is it, was it to occur? It was to occur on the 14th day of the first month. You read that in verse 1. Excuse me, verse 2. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. And also down in verse 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. They were to take the lamb on the 10th month, 10th of the month, and on the 14th is when they were to, to kill it and eat it. So we have, and that was to be the first month, which is the month Nisan on the Jewish calendar, which results, which equates to about our April. This Passover marked the Exodus out of Egypt. Look over in verse 42 of Exodus chapter 12. It is the night to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons throughout all their generations. This was the occasion to mark the exodus out of Egypt. And it was to be kept in perpetuity. We just read there from the end of verse 42, also back in verse 14. Now this day will be the memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. This was to be in place for the entire history of the Jewish nation. Passover marked the beginning of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. If you look there in verse 17, beginning says, you shall also observe the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought you, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month of the 14th day of the month, at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month. At evening. Notice again the very specific dates which are involved in this celebration. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. Whoever eats of the leaven, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is an alien or a native of the land, you shall not eat anything leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. So the Passover marks the beginning of the feast of the unleavened bread. Those two things go right hand in hand. This is also to serve as a reminder of the exodus out of Egypt. Look over in verse 39. It says, And they baked the dough which, had the, which they had brought from Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread. For it, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The reason this was the unleavened bread, because they, their exodus out of Egypt was going to happen on that very night. They were, that's why they were told to eat this in haste. 
with their loins girded and the staff in their hand and the sandals on their feet. They were eat this last meal and then they were going to get out of Egypt, finally. And the Passover and the unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, served to mark that occasion. They were both specifically to be celebrated on specific dates. We have that very clear in Scripture. The first month, the 14th day, is the Passover. And the 14th to the 21st day of that same month was to be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Last for a week. Very specific. And it was still being celebrated during the time of Jesus. Look over in Luke Chapter 22. Remember from our reading, it said, This shall be celebrated for all your generations. This was something that they were to hold for their entire lives, the entire length of the Jewish nation, the entire history of the children of Israel. And so they were still keeping it during the time of Jesus. Remember, Jesus came under the old law. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread which is also called the Passover, was approaching. Over in verse 7, it says, Then came the first day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Also, in verse 15, Jesus speaking, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So the command was given to the children of Israel for this Passover, and they kept it. Now, there were some times, of course, in captivity and times of falling away that it went away. When it was restored, it came back into existence. And the Jews were keeping it during the time of Jesus. Brief history of the Passover from the Old Testament. The title of this lesson is The Passover Then and Now. So what about the Passover now? Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. Verse 8, Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What does Paul mean? What what does the Passover mean to us today? What is Paul saying when he says that Jesus is our Passover? I'd like for you to consider for a moment the following things about the Passover lamb. As we compare the Passover lamb with our Lord Jesus. Go back to Exodus chapter 12. First thing we can consider is the lamb was to come from their flocks. If you look there in verse 5, it says, to take the lamb from the flocks, either from the goat or from the sheep. When it comes to our Lord Jesus, he came from among us. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is why we stress so often, especially in our Hebrews class, about Jesus being in the flesh. That his body was here in the flesh. Real flesh, real bones, real blood. He came out from among us. 
to be that Passover lamb. The lamb was to be unblemished. Read there in verse 5. What does it say about Jesus? First Peter 1 and verse 19 says, But with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. Peter here talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. The words he uses there, lamb unblemished and spotless. The same way the Passover lamb was for the children of Israel. The lamb is also to be sacrificed. Verse 6, they were to kill it and eat it on that very night. They would sacrifice that lamb and take some of his blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel. What's said about our Lord? Hebrews 9, verse 26. He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus sacrificed just like that lamb was. Unblemished. From among their own flocks. To be brought and to be sacrificed. Jesus sacrificed himself. Also of the lamb. We talked about that blood. The purpose of the blood. The blood was to be put on the doorposts and on the lintel. It went over the door so that when the death angel came through, he would pass over that house and the firstborn in that household would be spared. What about Jesus' blood? 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from forefathers, but with precious blood, the blood of Christ. In that same way, the blood of Christ saves us from that second death. Saves us from that eternal death separated from God. The lamb. Interesting also. The lamb was not to be broken. Look over in verse 46 of Exodus 12. Verse 46 in Exodus 12 says, It is to be eaten in a single house, you are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. It's interesting that that's there. If you remember the story about our Lord being crucified, and the Sabbath day was approaching, and the Jews asked for the legs of the, those on the crosses to be broken so that they would die more quickly, and they could take their bodies down. In John chapter 19, verse 36 says, For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, no bone of him shall be broken. When they came to break the legs of our Lord Jesus Christ, they saw that he was already dead. Now a soldier placed a spear in his side, and blood and water came out. But his legs were not broken, just like the Passover lamb. You look also in Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23. If a man has been committed of sin, deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree. But you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Now, Jesus wasn't guilty of any sin. In the eyes of the Jews, he was. But they wanted to take him down because of that verse. Because they were to take him down before the Sabbath came. He was to be buried on that very same day. So that they can get on the business of observing the Sabbath. Jesus, our perfect sacrificial lamb. 
Now, I want to talk for a few moments about how Easter fits into all this. Today, many in the religious world are celebrating Easter. They're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Larry mentioned from the table, and this is something we do every first day of the week. We've been commanded to do so. So how does Easter fit into all this? Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We begin reading there in verse 1. It says, Now about, the same, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some of the, those who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So from verses 3 and 4 there, if you're reading from the New American Standard Version, even the New King James Version reads very similarly. A couple things to notice. First of all, it was the days of unleavened bread. This marks a time that these events were taking place. Remember we said that Jesus, during his time, they were still partaking of the Passover, still marking that occasion. They still are at this point, and we get to the book of Acts, the book of history, the New Testament. Also notice down here, there's the word Passover. We understand that. We made it clear. The Passover starts the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. A lot of times these were used interchangeably. We'll look at that too in a moment. But if you happen to be reading from the old King James Version, look what it says. First of all, notice, they were the days of the unleavened bread. Again, marking the time that this was taking place. But if you come on down there into verse 4, it says, And delivered him to four quantirians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth for the people. That word appears right there in the old King James Version. Let's talk about that for a moment. The word that's being translated there, the Greek word is pasha. That's the Greek word. It's defined this way from the Greek. Pasha sacrifice, which is a custom to be offered for the people's deliverance from old Egypt. Remember that? We talked about it. Deliverance out of Egypt, the exodus. Also means the paschal lamb, not just the sacrifice, but also the lamb itself. These are different definitions of the word pasha. I.e., it's the lamb the Israelites were accustomed to slay and eat on the 14th day of the month Nisan, the first month of their year, which again relates to about April of our year. In memory of the day in which their fathers, preparing to depart from Egypt, were bidden by God to slay and eat the lamb and to sprinkle their doorposts with its blood, that the destroying angel, seeing the blood, might pass over their dwellings, Christ crucified is liking to this slain paschal lamb. Also, it means the paschal supper, the very supper itself. It also means that. We talk about the Passover. And it also refers to the paschal feast, the feast of the Passover, extending from the 14th to the 21st day of the month Nisan. 
That's the unleavened bread. The feast of the unleavened bread is used interchangeably. So why do we talk about all this? As translated in the New Testament, the word Pasha, it appears 29 times. The word Pasha. 29 times in the New Testament. In the New American Standard Version, in the New King James Version, the word Pasha is translated as Passover all 29 times. But in the Old King James, it appears 29 times as well. 28 times it's defined or translated as Passover. But one time it's translated as Easter. And we just read where that one time was. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. If you've got the Old King James you're reading from right now, I'd ask you to look at that real carefully and look and see if that word Easter appears there. This is among the 827-something words or phrases from the, King, the old King James that have significantly changed meaning or no longer used at all. 827 corrections that were made from the old King James version of the Bible. Why? Because the language is out of date. We don't speak like that anymore. King James was was produced in 1611. Our language has changed quite a bit from then. So 827 words or phrases that were used in the Old King James have been taken out, or not taken out, but translated properly, shall we say. And that Easter appearance there is one of those. This is from Adam Clark Commentary. Bear with me just a little bit. I'll try to read through this pretty quickly. The term Easter, inserted here by our translators, talking about the King James Version, they borrowed from an ancient Anglo-Saxon service books or from the version of the Gospel, which always translated the Greek by this term. Those always translated Easter instead of the Passover. Wycliffe used the word Paschi, i.e. Passover, but Tyndall, Coverdale, Beck, Carmarden, these are all predecessors of the King James Version of the Bible, Following the Old Saxon mode of translation, inserted the word Easter. The Geneva Bible very properly renders it Passover. The Saxon are different modes of spelling the name of the goddess Easter, whose festival was celebrated by our pagan forefathers in the month of April. Hence, that month in the Saxon calendar is called Easter month. Every view we can take of this subject shows the gross impropriety of retaining a name every way exceptionable and palpably absurd. So of the 29 times that the word Pasha appears in the New Testament, the old King James Version rendered it 28 times Passover. But there's that one time that they put in there Easter. And that's led to great confusion over the years about Easter. What does this all mean to us going forward? Knowing the exact date and the era associated with Easter, are we told in the New Testament to keep the Passover? Remember, Easter and Passover are the same Greek word. So are we told to keep the Passover in the New Testament? Those who still confuse the Passover with Easter celebrate Easter on a date independent of the Jewish calendar. I made very much an effort to point out the dates 
that the Passover was to be celebrated by the Jews. The 14th day of the month Nisan, the first month of their calendar year. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to go from the 14th to the 21st. Very specific. For those in the world who still celebrate Easter, who are still making this confusion, it falls on a Sunday between the 22nd of March and the 25th of April, inclusive, within about seven days after the astronomical full moon. A timing invented by men. The timing of Easter we can't find in Scripture. This Easter that man celebrates. Passover was given a very specific date, a very specific time that they were to be, to be celebrated. Men came up with a time to celebrate Easter as it's celebrated today. Nowhere in the New Testament are we told, nor example approved, nor conclusion inferred, that we are to celebrate the Passover. The Passover is part of the old law, which is no longer in effect. I appreciate Larry's comments at the table this morning. And no, we did not talk beforehand to concur our thoughts. They just happened to be that way. Passover is part of the old law, which is no longer in effect. We can look at passages such as Hebrews 8 and verse 13. When he said a new covenant he has made with the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old, ready to disappear. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinance, ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into a new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Talking about the old law. Colossians 2 and verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And also, from what Larry referenced this morning at the table, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to festival or a new moon or the Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We've talked often about the things in the Old Testament, how they were a shadow of the things to come. They weren't the things themselves, but merely representational things, copies of the real things. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. And when he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the Passover. We're no longer to celebrate the Passover. And why? Jesus is our Passover. We read there in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Paul makes that reference. Jesus is our Passover. Christ is our Passover. And by doing so, he brings to mind the sacrifice of our Lord and the salvation that it brings to us. We are told to remember this sacrifice. We are told to remember the sacrifice, not keep the Passover. And we do that on a certain date, each and every first day of the week. Again, it was mentioned from the table this morning, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, they come together to break bread. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. This do as often as you eat and drink of it in remembrance of our Lord. As often as you partake of these things, and that often is the first day of the week. 
Another thing to consider about our Passover. Our Passover has been slain once for all. We've been looking at this in our Hebrews class. This idea of the, our Lord being put to death once for all. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning verse 26. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled. Remind you about the Passover lamb? Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for himself, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Why? Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover. And what a blessing it is. What wonderful blessings we have in Jesus Christ. The children of Israel were told to commemorate their exodus by observing the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. That was to serve as a reminder to them throughout their generations of what the Lord did by passing over those who had put the blood on their doorposts and on the lintel. Paul tells us now that Jesus is our Passover. And his blood is our salvation. Just as the blood served as a salvation for the children of Israel so that they would be passed over when this plague of the death of the firstborn was going throughout the land of Egypt, so the blood of Jesus Christ is our salvation. It spares us from spiritual death. And there's only one way we come in contact with that blood. We are told in many scriptures that we come into contact with that blood through baptism. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6. Baptized into death, come out of the water, raise a new creature to walk in newness of life. And as we mentioned this morning from 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. And that's the gospel message. Have you heeded the gospel message? Hearing it, believing it, Repenting of your sins. Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confessing that He is the Son of God. Upon doing that, you're available for baptism. You can be baptized. And after that, there's one thing left that you have to do, and you have to walk in faith for the remainder of your life. Jesus says there in Revelation 2 and verse 10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Passover. Hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you have stumbled as a child of God and need the prayers of this congregation, if you're not a child of God and would like to be, you can let that be known by coming forward as together we stand and sing.